0: If you want to take your Bibles, turn with me to Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15, we turn our attention to the last part of this chapter. As you are turning there, I do want to take an opportunity and thank some folks, um, though they're they're not actually in in the room. Uh, I do want to thank John Strickland and Brandon Casson for coming here early this morning to set all this up. I know you walked in and it was all set up as if it just kind of rises up out of the stage, but it does not. Uh, This was all moved over here early this morning, and uh, so I'd like to thank them for making sure that we can worship this morning here, Uh, and and really without a hitch. I also want to thank Kenny Bell, who again is is not in the room, uh, but... Uh, he he was here early this morning setting up these chairs. He was here late last night figuring out what could be done and uh, needing you know then deciding this is what could be done. So let's thank Kenny. I know he's not here, but we can do it remotely and um, we, it's just another example of how grateful I am for the servants of this church. Uh, pastors often get a lot of credit for things Uh, often we gladly take a lot of credit for things all right but this uh, this happened because really of the good hard dedicated work of very skilled people Uh, so grateful for them and and what they have done so that we could be here today all right Romans chapter 15 beginning in verse 22 For this reason, I also have been much hindered from coming to you, but now no longer having a place in these parts and having a great desire these many years to come to you. Whenever I journey to Spain, I shall come to you, for I hope to see you on my journey and to be helped on my way there by you, if first I may enjoy your company for a while. But now I'm going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints." For it pleased those from Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem. It pleased them indeed, and they are their debtors. For if the Gentiles have been partakers of their spiritual things, their duty also is to minister to them in material things. Therefore, when I have performed this and have sealed to them this fruit, I shall go by way of you to Spain." But I know that when I come to you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. Now I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in prayers to God for me, that I may be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, that I may come to you with joy by the will of God, and may be refreshed together with you. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. I, I, I want to lead you in a bit of, a, of an exercise. I don't literally mean exercise, all right? So you should know better. That's not going to be what I will do. But I do, I do want to lead you through maybe just kind of a, a little bit of a thought experiment here. And so for those of you who would fall in this category... I want you to think back 20 years ago. Let's just use that as kind of a nice round number. 20 years ago, think of yourself, where you were, what you were doing. Did you end up where you thought you'd end up? I mean, it's today, here and now, the life that you're living, the plans that you had made way back then, because inevitably you made them, right? Way back then, have they come to fruition? And I don't mean to say that as if you've ruined everything and made terrible decisions. I mean, maybe you have. I don't know. But I mean, just to, to ask the question, are you where you thought you would be? How about 10 years ago, right? You'd had... 20 years ago, well, 10 years of life after that. Now, now, what about 10 years ago? Undoubtedly, you readjusted, right? You changed some plans. You thought differently about some things. Are you today where you thought you would be 10 years ago? Five years ago? One year ago? And, and let's, let's make this as applicable as we can, because some of you may think, well, yeah, you know what? I mean, in general, I made these plans, and kind of things just kind of fell out. So let me ask you this then, because this will now put us all in the same boat. What plans were you making in January of this year? February? First week of March? Did you expect to be here today? Well, no, and in fact, quite literally, because 10.30 last night is when we found out we'd even be actually here. 10.30, all right? 10.30 is when it became clear we can't do it in the sanctuary because there's... No air conditioning. Is it it not a sign, perhaps, of the way God just continues to demonstrate to us we're not in charge? That even some of the most mundane, regular, run-of-the-mill things that we do every week, God just decides to to say in his sovereign plan, no, we're not going to do it that way. (laughs) It's not going to be that way. So here we are, starting a series of messages in this in this last part of chapter 15 on when. Our plans clash with God's providence, and here we find ourselves in this room today. I think God does have a sense of humor, right? I mean, so here we are, very illustration of the thing. But even in the midst of COVID nineteen. Let me just ask seniors in high school what their plans in January versus you know what was gonna happen in May and June. Did it turn out that way? How about, you, how about in your work? Maybe you started off the year wherever your, your various vocations are and, and, and you, were, you were making plans for the, for, the, for the weeks, months, maybe even throughout the year. Maybe you were establishing goals and plans. How did that, that work out for you? Again, just in our normal course of events, vacations that you had planned, family get-togethers that you had planned, church events that had been planned this might be an extreme example that we find ourselves in, but it is an example of what is a cliche, an adage. you just never know what tomorrow may bring, right? So this for Bible believing sons and daughters of God, for, for those who love God's word and in particular a church like ours, you know that that for sure uh, you know is, is a Bible committed. to to use the term conservative Bible-believing church, if I were to ask you, do you believe in the sovereignty of God? Yes, we believe in the sovereignty of God. So for those of us who believe in God's sovereignty, you just take God at His word when He says all things happen according to the counsel of His will. This can be a real challenge for us, Right? The the, the uncertainty, the fluctuation of life, the, the way in which we can make plans and have designs and think about where we want to be and what we want to do, only to have at times some of that radically upended. Sometimes it can be moderately modified, but very rarely do we get to a place in life ever where we think, yeah, that happened exactly the way I planned it, exactly the way I wanted to. Everything turned out just perfectly. How, how, how do we live in this kind of attention? Well, on the one hand, we do. We believe in these things. We believe in God's power and ability. We believe God steers the course of human history. We, we believe that it, it unfolds as He intends, yet, yet here we are making decisions day in and day out. In fact, perhaps some believers might find themselves in a position where they get pessimistic, maybe even fatalistic, and say things like, "Well, I'm just going to sit back. I'm just, just going to be passive. I'm just going to roll with the punches. I'm going to take things as they come." I mean, is that what we should do? Should we, should we just sit and wait on God to do sovereign stuff, and then react to it? Or do we do we make plans? Do we make plans, knowing those plans? Probably aren't going to come to fulfillment, at least the way we think they will. How how do we navigate this challenging reality? Absolutely confident that God is sovereign, God in His providence is working intentionally and specifically in our lives and in human history. At the same time, here we are, we don't know what that's going to be, so we make decisions day in and day out. How do we navigate that? What I would argue is a pretty tricky clash of things. When me making plans clashes with the providence of God. I think this comes to the forefront in Romans chapter 15. So here here we get to a section of Paul's letter. It's typical. You know, we've said this before. this, This conclusion to Romans, though it's longer than any other letter. That's true for every other part of Romans, right? All of Romans is longer than any other letter. And so, it's not surprising that here at the end, we have a longer section where Paul talks about why he wrote the letter, he's going to talk about his travel plans, he's going to greet people, and so what we have here at the end of chapter 15, I think is a a profound and helpful example, yet at the same time, a very simple one. Paul exemplifies, I think for us, what it looks like to navigate this challenging reality. How are we to operate in this. What should we be doing? Now, I'm going to go ahead and and warn you now. I know I've asked some pretty hefty questions. I don't want this to sound like a bait and switch, like I'm giving you all these questions and I'm going to give you all the exact perfect answers. I'm not, okay? All right, I'll go ahead and tell you that now. You're not going to walk out of here thinking, wow, I perfectly understand God's absolute sovereignty and how I need to make decisions. All right, you're not going to do that because the Bible doesn't do that. Instead, what the Bible does for us is gives us very clear, straightforward expectations of how we manage this. Whether we can resolve all of this profound mystery or not, the Bible still directs us. And I think this text gives us a great example of somebody who's navigating this reality. So as, as Paul details his travel plans, his intent to eventually go to Rome so he can minister in Spain, I think he offers us a story uh, that, that helps us as Christians navigate the challenges. When God's providence clashes with our plans, how do, how do we manage this? So if you want to fill in blanks, you've got notes there on the back of your bulletin. So, so remember, I warned you, this is not going to be profound. These are very Simple ideas, all right. Number one, how do you how do you navigate? Number one, make your plans. I know you're thinking, wow, you're trained in everything, aren't you, Pastor? Brilliant. Glad we came all the way out in 150 degree weather outside. All right, great. Make your plans. In other words, Paul does start out here, I think, with a very helpful example. Paul gives us a rather detailed list of expectations he lays out an absolute plan he tells us at least in his mind what what he thinks he's going to do so should you make plans absolutely absolutely you should make plans you should look ahead a day from now a week from now a month from now six months from now now let me go ahead and, and address to at least two kinds of people in the room all right so i need everybody's attention because both of you are in here All right? You're going to think, has he been listening in on my life? Yes, God gives me secret messages. No, I'm just kidding. He doesn't give me secret messages about your life, all right? But there is the person in here who says, just the freewheeling, man, life is life, and I'm going to take it as it comes, right? In other words, you're the person that hates planning, probably because you're not any good at it, all right? I'm not trying to be offensive. I just mean I mean, you know, probably because you're just not very good at it, all right? So, but you're thinking, yeah, we're just going to take it as it comes, all right? right, I'm Yeah, I'm going to roll with it. So tomorrow I'm going to get up, and what am I going to do? I'm going to do what I do, all right? So that's, that's somebody, somebody in here does that. Then there's the other one. You know who you are. You not only make plans, you make plans to make plans, like, you've made a plan to sit down tonight and to make a plan for when you're going to make a plan for tomorrow. That's what you're doing, all right? And in fact, your plan is not only detailed, it's probably color-coded, right? You, you, and now, with, with all the technology, you probably all, you got all kinds of beeps and buzzes and blings that go off, all right? You've got a different sound for every event. I know, you're in the room, okay? And then there's everybody in between. But I, I, I will say this. Uh, On the one hand, we do need to make plans. On the other hand, we also need to recognize that even those of us who are the best at planning, those plans don't come to fruition. So what is the fundamental principle then? Well, we should be looking ahead and thinking about how we engage with the world God's placed us in as best we can, not just today, but next week, next month, even next year. Planning ahead is a valuable, reasonable, biblical concept. Now, before we jump into the text, though, I, I do want to add this because I think this is an important principle when it comes to this whole thing. And, th- and this maybe would be a little bit more theological. But when it comes to making plans, understand that you are making plans in light of the fact that God is a God of providence, God is orchestrating the events of life to bring about his desired will. I know that comes with a truckload of questions in your mind. I'm going to ask you to set those aside for a minute, all right? Because we'll get to some of that, but not this week. But we will get to dealing with some of that conundrum. But for now, here's what I think is important to know when it comes to your decisions in God's providence, especially under this idea of making plans. Your access to God's providence is always hindsight. All right? All right? Your access to God's providence. And what I mean by that is it's not that you don't believe God is going to providentially work tomorrow, but you have no idea how God's going to providentially work tomorrow. You may know, yes, He will. He'll do something tomorrow and next week and next month and next year. I know that He will. God, God operates you know, concurrently as a sovereign God and with His providence. You just don't know what that's going to be. Your only access to the providential work of God is to look back to the minutes that have passed, the days that have passed, the years that have passed. That's your only access to it. Here's why that matters, though. Because if you can look back on 20 years of your life and see the providential work of God, don't you think he'll do that for 20 more? I mean, if you can look back and say, yeah, I look back at my life and I can see he did this, this, and this, but I've got to tell you, Pastor, I'm worried about what's going to happen here, here, and here in the days to come. All right. I understand, but do you think somehow God's changing the way he's working? Do you think, I mean, God, God's not like Superman and giving up his powers, all right? God's not giving up his providence. God is going to operate that way. So whatever he did 20 years ago, that's the manner in which he's going to continue to operate. But it is important to note, my access to that only comes, I can only look back and fully evaluate the providence of God. So, in light of that, then I think the instruction given to us is we make plans. Look at how Paul does this, beginning in verse 22. For this reason, I have also been much hindered from coming to you. By the way, just to make the connection here textually. For this reason, therefore, Paul's going back to the previous text. So, he's telling the folks in Rome, he said more than once. He said at the beginning of the book, I long to come and see you so that I can impart truth to you, and I can be mutually blessed by your ministry to me. And, and he's going to say in the next verse, I've wanted to come to you for years. Paul, what's stopping you? And so he says, for this reason, meaning God had called me, and this is what we looked at last week, God had called me to minister from Jerusalem to Illyricum. In other words, there was a particular unreached region. There was frontier missions God had called me to. Church planting kinds of missions. I was taking the name of Christ where the name of Christ had never been named. And so for that reason, I've not been able to come to you. I've been been hindered. Now, to go ahead and give you a little tease of what's to come, that phrase, I have been hindered, Then this, get ready, here's some nerdy Greek stuff, all right? That phrase is called a divine passive, ooh, right? I can just see the chills on everybody, right? Ooh, a divine passive. In other words, what Paul is getting at when he says, I have been hindered, because he uses this phrase, and we'll see this when we get to the third point eventually. What Paul means is, he's not saying, I've been hindered by luck or fate or coincidence, He's not saying that, that a series of events have conspired against me, and this is where I find myself, uh, and, and it's you know it's, it's just a you know an unfortunate series of events or fortune whatever it may be. So he doesn't believe in luck or fortune or any of that kind of thing. When he says I have been hindered, it's not some nebulous vague idea. This is a divine work. What he is saying is, I have been hindered by God. God has kept me from doing these things because God had me doing other things. I, unexpectedly, it's one of the strongest statements of God's sovereignty that you can find. When, he, when Paul, And we're going to find this language in a couple other places. So, Paul, Paul is identifying, look, I, I haven't come to you because I've been hindered. But then notice how he follows this in verse 23. But now, no longer having a place in these parts and having a great desire these many years to come to you, whenever I journey to Spain, I shall come to you. So in spite of the fact that he says, all right, my life up to this point has been dictated by God. That's what he means by verse 22. God has dictated the course of events in my life. He's determined them. He he is sovereign over them. I've submitted to that. That's the way my life then has been governed. But now, what does he jump to? Now, right from that strong statement, he says, but here are my plans. I'm going to come see you. I'm going to make my way to you. When I make my way to Spain, I stop by. We're going to hang out. We're going to have fellowship together. I'm going to stop by on my way. In fact, he goes on to to kind of give a few more details there. Verse 24 Whenever I journey to Spain, I shall come to you, for I hope to see you on my journey and to be helped on my way there by you, if first I may enjoy your company for a while. In other words, my calling is to frontier missions. So this is implied here, by the way. So I'm going to go to Spain, but on the way to Spain, I'm going to stop off in Rome. And here's what I think he means by this verse. To be helped along the way. I think Paul means I'm going to pick up material resources, and personnel, and some y'all going to come with me to Spain. I think that's what he's getting at. I think that's why this letter is so lengthy. It's one of the reasons why he's reminding them of the depth of this theology of the gospel, because he wants to partner with them in gospel missions, and he's planning on taking some of them with him to Spain to start churches. Also, you should understand that as far as the Roman worldview was concerned... What did Spain represent? The end of the earth. You reach the water. As far as they were concerned, that was it. That, that was as far west as they could go. Now, obviously geographically that's not exactly true, but in their mind that's what they're thinking. Paul had been commanded by Christ as all of us have been commanded to take the gospel from where we are to the ends of the earth, Right? That's where Paul was going, to the ends of the earth. But in order to do that, he's going to need some folks in Rome to help him. So he details for us this kind of travel plan. So when I I go to Spain, I'm going to come by. But but then he gives this part of the itinerary. So so keep going. Verse um, 25. But now I'm going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints. And he goes on to describe why he would go to Jerusalem. Because as he was traveling around from where it says there in that verse, from Achaia to Macedonia, that's modern day Greece. While he was ministering in Greece, planting churches in Greece, he must have let these congregations know about the deep poverty and persecution of believers in Jerusalem. Jewish believers in Jerusalem. And guess what these churches did of their own accord? Paul did not motivate this. They did it. They wanted to take up a love offering. Christians have been taking up love offerings for a long time. We didn't make it up, all right? This has been going on for a long time. And when he says offering, he literally means taking up of material resources. So as Paul traveled around to all these churches, he would collect an offering. He had all of this. And his intent then, he's writing this letter, by the way, from Corinth, His intent is to go to Jerusalem, drop off the offering to those poor persecuted believers in Jerusalem, and then make his way to Spain via Rome. All right. So I want you you to stick with me here for just a minute with a bit of a geography lesson. When Paul says, when he's in Corinth and he says, I'm going to Jerusalem, then I'm going to go to Spain, I'm going to go through Rome in order to get there. It, it's not like saying, hey, after church, I'm going to go to Walmart, then we're going to get lunch, and then I'm going to go home and have a nap. Corinth, here. picture it this way. You're going to have to trust me that I roughly know geography, all right? It may be a stretch. My sons would do better at this. All right, so let's say Corinth is here at, at the southern bottom part of Greece... So that means Rome is somewhere here. And I think I've got the perspective right, all right? For you folks, not for me, for you. So I think Rome is roughly going to be up here somewhere. Do you know where Jerusalem is in relation to all this? Jerusalem's all the way down here. Guess what's not on the way to Spain through Rome? Jerusalem. So, so it's, it's not like a drop by, right? I mean, he's, he's not just dropping off. You know, I'm going to be in the neighborhood. He's nowhere in the neighborhood. It's not even the same continent, all right? It's a different continent. Now, I, again, I didn't map this out. I don't know how long it would take if you were just straight traveling. It's going to take Paul a long time. How long do you think it's going to take to go from Corinth to Jerusalem, from Jerusalem to Rome, and then Rome to Spain? I mean, this is this is... This is a commitment, right? We're not talking about planning that involves, you know what? I, th- I think next week I've got, a, I've got an eye appointment. Oh, and then, then in October I think we got that vacation, right? No, that's not what we're talking about. <laughs> we're talking months and months. We're talking years, year and more kinds of planning that Paul is doing. And yet at the same time, here is a guy who speaks of the sovereignty of God With as much depth and and profundity and uh, and mystery as any other New Testament author. And yet Paul is saying things like, I'm gonna go do this, I'm gonna do that. As as if, again, as if you would say, Yeah, I gotta go run a few errands after church, right? These things are just rolling off the pen. But this is significant. Paul is making all of these plans to say, all right, so here's what I wanna do. I wanna go here, I wanna go there. Uh, and and when, when, I'm, when I'm done doing this, when, when I've gone, and so this is what he gets at then in, in 27, 28, so when I've, when I've taken this offering from the Gentiles to the Jews, which, by the way, you'll note that interesting verse there in verse 27. It pleased them indeed, and they are their debtors, for if the Gentiles have been partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister to them in material things. I know that may sound weird, but that's a fascinating idea, what Paul is saying, because the gospel came from the Jews and to the Jews first, and from them to the Gentiles, then the Gentiles are spiritual debtors to the Jews. Fascinating. That that, that Paul would lay out this kind of theology of these two groups of people and to say, so just as they were spiritual benefactors of the work of of a Jew and the gospel coming first to Jews, so they were obligated then to return the favor by benefiting them materially. And so so Paul says, here's the motivation for it, but then he adds this, verse 29, but I know that when I come to you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. So, So now we're really getting, I think, to some clarity on the simplicity of the first point. What do you do when it comes to this challenge of God's sovereignty and the nature of our plans and our plans not coming to fruition? You make your plans. That's what you do. Go ahead. Plan on going to Spain through Rome after you stop off in Jerusalem. Go ahead, make your plans. I mean, if Paul if Paul makes these are detailed plans, right? These are long-range kind of plans. Paul's not flying by the seat of his pants. He says, this is what I want to do. But but what I find so instructive is that final sense there where he says, but here's what I know. It's almost as if this is the worldview that's operating for Paul. This is the theology behind all of this. This This is going to be about the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So why can Paul make plans with such confidence, knowing at the same time God may very well hinder him from whatever other plans he may develop? It's because he's doing his work for the sake of the glory of God and the work of the gospel. Paul is submitting his plans to the greater work of God's glory and God's gospel. So so I would encourage you, church, to make your plans. Don't be put off by it. Don't suggest that somehow that lacks faith or trust. People will question that. Do I I just not trust God? As if trusting God means, again, I've just got to be, I've just got to fly by the seat of my pants, right? Just got to react to situations as they come up. As if that somehow indicates a greater level of dependence upon God. I doubt anybody here would say you depend on God better than Paul did. But yeah, Paul clearly... Doesn't have any trouble saying, I'm going to go do this, I'm going to go do that. And this is not the only letter that's in, right? He, he does this. This is a viable, biblical, right kind of concept. In fact, there's some other verses that encourage us to do this very thing. All right, so they're going to be on, on the screen there. They're not in your notes, but you can write down the references if you want to study them later. Proverbs 16.3, commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. Now, we don't want to misunderstand that. That doesn't mean you get to do whatever you want to do, submit it to God, and God will make it happen. We're not that kind of church. We don't believe in that kind of theology, right? Instead, you'll notice the direction here. Commit your work to the Lord. In other words, do that which is for God's glory and the sake of His gospel. Surrender it to Him, and then your plans will be established. In other words, if at the end of my planning, my ultimate plan is to say, I want to do whatever honors, glorifies God... And, and extends his gospel, guess what's going to happen? That. That. If you commit to planning in that way and submitting your plans in that way, committing your work, your activity, your, your commitments to the Lord in such a way that you want God to be glorified through what you are doing, through how you are living, guess what will happen? If that's your plan, that plan will work. 20 years from now, you'll look back. If we're here together 20 years from today... And I ask the same question. I could preach the same sermon because you all won't remember it. All right, neither will I. All right, and I preach the exact same sermon. Where were you 20 years ago? There may be all kinds of ways. But if my commitment is to do that which glorifies God, that's one that God will always honor and bless. It's a plan He will always bring to fruition. Proverbs 16:9 I think is similar. A man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Now, what you'll notice about this verse, it does not discourage us from making plans in our heart. Nothing about it says that negatively. You can make plans. Just know that God's the one who directs your steps. All right, go on to the next one. Proverbs 21.5, the plans of the diligent surely lead to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. Again, Proverbs is, is, I think, exemplifying us, the rightness, the goodness of making plans. Now, let's go to perhaps the verse that that many of you are thinking of when it comes to making plans about what we will do tomorrow, all right? And that's the book of James. James chapter uh, 1, I think that's the wrong reference, by the way, I think it's chapter, I, I did this, so, It's chapter 1. Come now, you say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Now stop there for a minute. If that last sentence, the last sentence on the slide, if it were not there, in other words, if the verse ended where I ended then everything I just said for the last 30 minutes is, as they may would have said around here in the day, hogwash, right? All, all That would have contradicted everything I just said. <laughs> Where he says, you know, what is your life? Who do you think you are? It's, it's as if he's saying, who do you think you are to make these kind of plans? You'll go here and there tomorrow or next year. Who do you think you are? Your life is a mist. It's a vapor. It's here today, gone tomorrow. But he does he's not telling me not to make a plan about what I'm gonna do in such and such a town today or tomorrow or a year from now. He says this, the end of that verse. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this, and do this or that. So feel free to make your plans about tomorrow and next year. Even feel free to make plans about what may bring profit to you. What is he denouncing? He's denouncing the pride of someone who's living their life as if God is not sovereign. So I want you to listen carefully here, church. Because really I think James, in, in talking about this man, this one here, uh, you know, maybe referencing somebody who potentially may not be in the faith, all right? But for those of us who are believers, can I caution you against a very real uh, violation, I think, uh, t- the, the a way we should be living as believers, and that is with our lips, we extol the sovereignty of God, yet we make our plans and live our lives as if we are the ones in charge. Now, only you will know if you do that, <laughs> all right, I trust you and the work of the Spirit and the Lord... But I would ask myself that question. Again, making plans is viable, it's right, it's appropriate. And in particular, making plans as it relates to God's glory and His gospel. Yes, do that. Make sure, though, as you live your life, you are doing so with a clear mind about God's ultimate sovereignty and providence. I am to submit myself to Him and live obediently then to Him. Now, next week, we'll, we'll keep going, looking at two more points, uh, with the third one kind of really being a, an emphasis in particular on this providential work of God. But here's how I want to close this one out, because what I've been saying all along, I think about this particular point, might, might need a point of application that, that might get a little bit more personal. All right? All right? It might be a little bit more right at us. Because here's what I think is so profound about what Paul is saying. Again, what is Paul's driving concern? The fullness of the gospel. It's ministry. It's, It's God's glory. And granted, he has a very unique, specific calling... Nonetheless, he gives us a great example that as we are making plans in living life, what should be our overriding, dominating principle for living? For making our plans to do that which glorifies God, to do that which would, would further along the work of the gospel, either in our lives or the lives of others. Now again, there's broad, there's broad application of that. That's, that's how we should be making our plans. So let me ask you, when you are making your plans, are you making your plans with a ministry mindset? Just let that sink in for a minute. Are they being made with a ministry mindset? Say, well, Pastor, what do you mean by that? Well, let me ask you. In making of your plans about work, vacation, the day-to-day responsibilities of life, uh, you know, family stuff, whatever they may be, whatever the plans you may be making in the weeks, months to come, what role or what prominence is given specifically to the work of the gospel, the church, and ministry engagement? Let me push this just a little bit further. Let me give you a hypothetical. Let's say I announced next May, first week of May, we're going to do a series of revival meetings. Can I count on you? Will you be there? Next May, first week of May, next year, will you be there? Oh, well, Pastor, I hope to be. I mean, I'll need to see what happens. No, no, I'm telling you what's going to happen. I'm going to schedule revival meetings. That's what's going to happen. Or are you looking at that kind of thing saying, well, I mean, I can't make, I can't make those kind of plans ahead of time. I never know what will come up. I can tell you what's coming up. What's coming up is your commitment to the greater things of God. In other words, are you making your plans with this idea in mind? I want to do that, which brings God's glory, which furthers the work of the gospel, which is ministry intentional, or does this kind of ministry-intentional planning get placed at the end of your thinking and shoved into your schedule when time allows? Uh, Pastor, I yeah, I mean, I'd I'd love to commit. To, to whatever event or whatever thing or whatever mission, tr- whatever's going to go on. I'd love to commit to that uh, in in two months. I just don't know what's going to come up between now and then. Well, it, it doesn't matter, right? I mean, it doesn't matter. if you Because you, you're, you're not planning a, a lot of other stuff in your life that way. Do you think that about your vacations? Do you think that about your family gatherings? I, I, I can't plan something for... Next, next spring, and yet are you already blocking off things that could be done? Look, and I, and I don't. I don't say this is a guy who does this perfectly myself. I, I I can very easily. I know it may sound strange. A guy who's in quote unquote ministry every day of his life, I can just as easily make plans without any thought to these things, just like anybody else can. So this is the question. So, one, am I making plans? It's right and good and appropriate, but am I making those plans in light of the, as Paul said in verse 29, the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ? Because that's a driving force of how I make my plans and why I make them. So let me ask you, believer, what is the nature of how you are living your life? Are you living in submission to the sovereignty of God while at the same time making your plans? And are those plans then submitted to that which brings God glory and furthers the gospel. We're going to sing... And to be an opportunity then for you just to submit to the Word of God, however God by His Spirit would bring His Word to bear on your life. I would encourage you then to think carefully about how that would happen. Of course, I'd make an appeal to anybody here today who has never trusted in Christ as Savior. Know that the, if you've you heard all this and you think this is like a motivational speech on time management, that's not the case. If you are not a believer in Jesus Christ, ultimately it doesn't really matter what you're planning because if you die without Christ you will spend eternity separated from God, facing his eternal judgment. All the planning in the world then doesn't really matter. That the first step then is trusting in Christ. Have you confessed that you are a sinner, that Christ died on the cross and rose from the dead? Have you asked God to save you based on nothing but the, the, the work of Christ, the grace of God in Christ crucified and resurrected? I would implore you to do just that. When the service is over, I'll be down front If you'd like to talk more about that, or if you'd like me to pray with you, I'd love to be able to do that. How will you respond to the Word of God this morning? Let's stand together. I'm going to pray, and then we will sing. Father God, we do thank you for gathering us here today. We're grateful for this time in your Word, this time to be able to sing together and to to pray together, to study your Word together. God, we do want to be faithful to you, faithful to you as a sovereign God. We want to be faithful to make wise and appropriate plans yet that those plans then are governed by your glory and your gospel. And so, Father, lead and guide us in that, that we might be obedient to you. Bring your word to bear on our lives by your Spirit, and that through that word continue to make us like Christ, so that you might be glorified in all that we do. That's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.